Anybody see any fireworks yet? Anybody see any fireworks? Anybody have neighbors shoot them off till late in the night? I saw some fireworks last night and uh, a whole fireworks display. And um, I, I was real close to them. And, uh, and I, there's something about like, if you know anything about me, my mother will tell you, I, Fourth of July is my favorite holiday of the year. You say more than Christmas? Yes. More than Thanksgiving? It doesn't look like it, but yes. I love the 4th of July. I don't know what it is about it. I love fireworks. I remember being in, uh, and uh, most people don't know this because it's a very obscure thing that I love fireworks so much. I love them so much that this, so far, fingers crossed, so far this year is the first 4th of July week, weekend that I have not severely burned myself in a very long time. Uh, last year, you probably remember me <laughs> telling you that I had burnt my, the top of my lip because I was holding a bottle rocket in my mouth. I love, I know, I love, <laughs> don't you feel so much better than I'm your bastard? I love 4th of July, and I feel like I've just been called to be a human fireworks display. So I will hold them and shoot them and do all sorts of crazy things with them. Uh, so far this year, uh, the key is don't buy them, and then you can't get burnt by them. So I have not bought any yet, but time is still on my side, kids, all right? <laughs> um, I, I love 4th of July because I love what it stands for. It's not just a, a, a patriotic holiday. And I know there is, a, there is a, at times what feels like um, a little bit of an anti-patriotic kind of uh, current that's flowing in our society. And, and, and I don't want to label it as that because I believe there's a, a lot of people that are just saying, hey, there's some problems maybe in our country and our society that we need to fix. And, um, and uh, that's kind of the way they're handling it. And uh, I totally empathize and believe there are some things we can do better as a nation. Everybody agree with that? And, uh, but I still have a, a patriotic um, heart. Like I, I have two grandfathers that fought in a war. My grandmother's first husband um, was killed there in action. She received a telegram in the mail letting her know at a very young age that her husband was gone. Then she met and married my grandfather who did four tours, um, bronze star, decorated um, serviceman, my mom's dad. And uh, I have a great, great uh, affinity and I, I, I honor what has been fought as a nation for independence and our freedom, amen? Is that okay if, with that to hear today? And, uh, and so I, as I'm thinking about, um, I love to be there. There's something about not just the crack of the, the boom of those big fireworks in the air, but I like when they come out of the tube. You know that sound? That, I just, I'm like, I'm 40 years old and I act like a kid. I look around everyone else like, are you enjoying this as much as I am? <laughs> I saw one in a fireworks display last night. I, I don't know if you've seen this yet, where the firework shoots sideways and it just looks like sparks onto the water. And then when those sparks hit the water, they then explode. And so it just like duplicates itself like three or four times. I, I mean, I was like, I have not seen this yet. It made me so excited and happy. But I got thinking about the holiday um, and the meaning behind it and I'm not a historian, so I'm not going to get into the historical facts, but I got to thinking about some of the reasons that we declared independence as a nation, or at least the way we're taught. 
in, in school. Um, and when July 4th, of course, 1776, when the Declaration of Independence was signed, um, it was people that had the intent to say, hey, we will not be governed by this nation. We will not be told what things will look like here based on what things look like there. How many of you know England and the territory and the, this, this nation or this uh, pre-nation, um, this territory, we're two totally very different, vastly different areas or land masses. And so there was a group of people here that said, we came here uh, because we didn't agree with the way things were there. We had some differences and we needed a new land, a new territory to begin to kind of express what it looked like. And so they, they, throughout time, they, of course, got to a point where they said enough is enough. And they, uh, of course, the, you hear the Boston Tea Party, you hear about all these different insurrections. And then on July 4th, 1776, was the official Declaration of Independence, where we said we are now an independent nation or an independent people group from England. And it's a, it's a bright spot, I think, in the history of, I, I believe Americans at heart are rebels, Amen? That we are reformers, you know? Um, and I, I got to thinking about it all, and I thought, you know, we kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, and this has happened in the church, we kind of jumped out of a box that we had been put in into a box that we built for ourselves. But the purpose of jumping out of the box was not to just get in a box that we're more comfortable with, but the purpose was to get out of the box, and the interesting thing about human nature is that we will oftentimes take a moment of freedom to leave something else only to be enslaved again to something different. And I've seen this throughout church history. We will fight tooth and nail not to be indoctrinated. I mean, the big thing now is like all the stuff happening in schools and everything. It's like, do not try to indoctrinate us or our children. Okay, fine, that's great. If that's the expression and that's what you feel, that's awesome. But how many of you know that the church at times has been the number one indoctrinator? <laughs> and indoctrination, even if you're indoctrinated into truth, is still indoctrination. It's the idea that you will believe what I want you to believe the way I want you to believe it without questioning or asking questions or developing or forming faith on your own. Yeah, but, it's, but I feel like I'm teaching my kids truth. Wonderful. My, my mom and dad have always encouraged us to think outside the box, but even growing up in our family, there was a certain amount of, this is what we believe as a family, you know, get with it. We're a pastor's family. There's not too much time to figure this out, kids, right? Well, my brother went to an Assemblies of God college. At the time, it was not a university. It was just Southeastern. And he went there and... He had a very, I would say, very, you know, traditional kind of charismatic Pentecostal worldview. And he got there and he had a professor named Dr. Cotton. And I don't know who in the heck let that man teach at an Assemblies of God conservative college in Lakeland, Florida. But he was completely out there. But he began to do something that I want to adopt. And I know you're thinking to yourself, maybe, you know, Pastor Dan, where is this found in the word of God? And I'm going to get to that if you're patient with me. But he began to teach from a, from a doctrine or a perspective called constructivism. And constructivism, I'm going to read it exactly, is the theory in education that recognizes that 
the learners or the students, not the teacher, construct their own new understandings and knowledge. It's argued that the responsibility of the learning should reside increasingly with the student and not with the teacher. And so Dr. Cotton didn't tell them what to believe. He just took every one of their cute little pet conservative Christian ideals and asked questions, really, really hard questions. And at barely 19 years old, my brother Jim was like, ¿Qué es esto? What is this? What is happening here? What is this man talking about? And, and to this day, we don't know what Dr. Cotton believed because Dr. Cotton wasn't there to tell them what he believed. He was there to ask them what they believed and why they believed it. In other words, he wasn't trying to reproduce himself. And we're going to find out that in the word of God, Paul was the same way. Jesus was the same way. A bunch of the teachers that we read their writings today were the same way. They would ask the questions. Instead of telling the answers, they would ask the questions and they would allow people to develop, to own, to work out their own faith and their own idea of who God is inside of them so that what they believed was their own and it wasn't somebody else rubber stamping them. If you come to church, and I will say this to you, 90 plus percent, I believe, of churches in America are houses where you come so they can tell you what to believe. This church will never be that. Amen. We are here to propose some ideas, some, 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 uh, you know, some theological statements, some, some things that we find to be truthful in our lives and throughout history. This is guided uh, not just by me, now, I'm 40, so I think I'm old, but I know some of you think I'm young. I'm not. I'm old, okay? Um, but it's also guided by some of the people sitting here today, my mom and dad, who have been doing this for a long time. And if they think I'm going wacky, they call me on the phone. We, we, we've arrived at some conclusions here, but they're not really conclusions about what you have to take home with you and say, I believe this absolutely. They're, they're ideas for you to open up a whole new discussion within your being of what this means for me, my family. Where do I find this in the word of God? Does this make sense based on what I understand about the heart of God? Is this true? I never want you to leave here saying, Pastor Dan said it, therefore I'll do it. I want you to leave here saying, Pastor Dan said it. I'm going to check out and see if it's true. The greatest compliment you can give me or my dad or mom or my, my uncle over here, whoever speaks here, the greatest compliment you can give us is to walk out the door and go, hmm, that's got me thinking. I'm going to go, I'm going to go check that out for myself. So this idea of constructivism that we find actually all over the Bible, we find in modern education, it's one of the most powerful tools for students to learn. It's actually the tool that my brother Jim, coincidentally enough, he runs the International Baccalaureate Program at Riverview High School. It's the most prestigious international program for, well, they have it in middle school too, um, but for, for high school, high schoolers anywhere in the nation. And his particular, uh, there's over a thousand of them, I believe. His particular um, school is usually in the top 20 of those thousand. And Jim runs it and he says, this is what we do. New College does a very similar thing. They say to the students, you come up with a question for your research paper. That's right. 
And what it does, listen to me, this is very important. I know it feels a little bit, what I, I, I'm gonna break this down for all of us today. It's the idea that I'm not going to assume that you're at a place or a position where I today can take, you know, this whole theological idea and just rubber stamp you with it. I wanna find out where you're at because I could sit here today and teach revelations to you. I mean, week after week after week after week, end times, end times, end times. But if your uncle died a week ago and you're in the process of grieving, you can't hear that. It's the idea that you tell me based on the questions you're asking, based on the construct that you're beginning to form, you tell me where you're at, where your faith is at, and what the next step for your faith is. You know, every person in this building and watching online is at a different place in their faith. How silly is it that we go to church expecting that I'm going to get up and say something that perfectly applies to every person in this room, even though everybody's in a different spot? That's why the onus is not on me to give you a roadmap. Because I might be telling you guys to take a left turn because you're at that corner. But you guys might be three turns behind and your left turn might lead you into complete confusion. The, the, the onus is not actually on me, the teacher today, or any of the other teachers here, to tell you where to go. The onus is on me to inspire you to ask questions to think about where am I at and what's the next step? And yes, maybe come to one of us and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Where do I find this in the word of God? And we can maybe direct you towards some scriptures and give you some context, but you've got to find it. You've got to seek wisdom. You have to seek understanding. It's so easy to come to a place where someone just says, here's the wisdom you need, here's the truth you need, here's everything you need to know, just memorize this and you'll be good. Uh, it doesn't mean, man, I'm gonna tell you, the minute the boat gets shaky in life, and it will, all the somebody told me's don't actually hold any water. Maybe that was a bad analogy, holding any water. Anyways, they don't help. It's what do I know beyond a shadow of a doubt in my heart and soul about my heavenly father. What do I know about the sacrifice made for me? What do I know about how he's created me? What do I know because I've worked it out and I've processed it and I've chewed on it and I've, I've allowed it to produce something inside of my soul. That is what will keep you through the storms of life. I, my, when my mom talks about certain things, my dad too, but... I know specifically there's a couple of things with my mom that she says, I'll never forget the day the Lord spoke to me and said this. This. And from that moment on, it changed everything. It doesn't usually happen in a service. It usually happens when you're alone and your nose is against the grindstone and you don't seem to have any way out or any way forward where the Spirit of God comes and allows that moment where you just say, I can't do this, to begin to produce something inside of you that will never be broken or shaken. That only comes when we have an environment and a culture as a church where people can be free in their thoughts and in their questions. Amen. 
this Independence Day, I want to celebrate the idea that every one of us in this building are free to think for ourselves and ask really tough questions. Anything different will end in disaster. Listen to me. I have seen people that have served God faithfully for 50 years who have never been allowed to think for themselves, own their own faith, and ask questions, and they're miserable at best. It's why today, if we were signing our own Declaration of Independence as a church, part of that Declaration of Independence would say there's no topic that's off limits as long as it's age appropriate for the people in the rooms. It's why when I'm talking to Rob, the most important part of what he's doing with his guys is that they actually read a confidentiality statement amongst themselves before they get started. And they make every man not just say verbally, but even raise their hand, that they will agree that if there's eight of them on a Zoom chat, that all eight of them agree that I swear I promise with my, all of my integrity that everything we talk about today will not leave here. That no identity, no particular issue or person or date or time or place will be discussed outside of this group. It's the idea that we create a safe space that no topic is off limits because when we allow people to, to experience shame that drives them into a place where they believe that their question is either off limits or invalid or that it's too baby Christian. I'm not even getting to my notes because I'm just fired up this morning for no other reason than I'm fired up. I, I got to thinking about this. You know, for years we've called, well, they're, they're, they're a babe in the Lord. They're a baby Christian. Enough of that nonsense. Enough of that. I know people that have been saved for 20 years that still act like babies. I know that's right. Has nothing to do with how long they're in the faith. I'll tell you what it has to do with. Their maturity has a direct correlation to the safe space that they've been provided to actually ask tough questions and to process and to work through their own, their own battles and struggles. Now, every one of you in this building right now has things that you wish you could have talked over with somebody that they would have received it and walked through it with you and allowed yourself to ask some questions and to be asked questions. Every single one of us has things we have buried because we did not feel like it was okay to talk about it. Amen. And if that is the case and culture in the church in our nation or in our city or in our community, are we really free? Let's, let's look at some scriptures because I feel like y'all ain't gonna believe me. Albert Einstein said this, he said, freedom in any case is only possible by constantly struggling for it. The idea of free independent Independence, either in thought or in action, is a constant daily struggle. Why? Because inherently inside of us, we want to be told what to do. We want the safe space of our box. We want to be controlled. People say, don't control me. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. No, the people that are the warmest and the fuzziest are the ones that are being the most controlled. It is scary to be out there just like, woo! 
right, the world is my oyster. I'll figure this out. It's so much better when someone's like, if you do this, I'm going to do this, and you're going to be okay, and just trust me, and you're good, and blah, 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 blah. But I'm telling you what was in the hearts of the men and women who founded this country and declared independence. They had no clue how they were going to make it in what was mostly just a wilderness here. But they said, we, I'm sure, I'm sure the nation of England at the time was like, you just don't keep paying your taxes. We'll make sure you're good. You know, we're going to handle things. You guys, you're a bunch of savages. You don't know how to govern yourselves. We'll, we'll govern you. We'll take care of this. And they were like, you might be right. We don't know how to govern ourselves. We don't know where the next, uh, you know, uh, dinner is coming from. We don't necessarily have the resources or the technology to begin to build towns or buildings or, or, or houses, but, but uh, we're done with this. It's scary. Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only as my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Those words, fear and trembling, actually mean awe and reverence. It's the idea that I take very seriously my own faith. Which means don't serve me your McDonald's Happy Meal on Sunday morning. I take my spiritual well-being and health very seriously. So you ever seen, maybe you're one of them. Um, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm down 13 pounds. You're welcome, all right? And I've been working out and paying attention. And I'm, I'm mainly, for those of you who want to know how to look this beautiful, I'm mainly eating very little carbs. And so every package or thing that I buy, I flip it over. And I'm looking, not just for the carbs, but then the fiber can be subtracted from the total carbs to get a net carb. And, and, and so I'm like, I'm looking at the total carbs and looking how, many, how much sugar and how much fiber and all the grams in the back of it. And I know some that's like as far as I go. Some of you guys look at every ingredient. Like this has phenylchoronics. What? All right, that sounds delicious. All right, so um, we're not eating this. Um, so I flip it over and I look at it. And I, what if everything we heard, whether on the radio or read in a book, or heard from the pulpit, or heard from a friend, or saw on Facebook, or read in an email, or saw on YouTube? What if everything we flipped the label back over and we said, what are the ingredients of this, and is it good for me to digest it? Because I work out my faith with awe and reverence, with respect for what I'm developing here. I'm not just going to put anything, I'm not just going to take anything that anybody puts out there and go, that sounds good. Amen? First Thessalonians 5.21 says, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Listen, I don't know about you, but there is some faith dynamics over the years where like testing something is not <laughs> invited in church. Test what? I have a, a cousin that was uh, a part of a church and was involved in a church in the, uh, the guy that was there had a kind of a prophetic mantle in his life and considered himself a prophet. And, and he walked into the office one day and, and uh, he just had a question about um, what he'd experienced in the past versus what was spoken um, from the pulpit. And they were friends, they were buddies, they hung out, their families did life together. It was a great relation. It wasn't just like some person walking in. 
had a great relationship. And he, he said to him, he said, he said, yeah, I, got, I have a question, you know, like this is what I've experienced in my life to be true, but this is what you said. And I just, I'm wondering how do I reconcile those two things? And the man stood up from his chair and said, don't you dare question the prophet of the Lord. And barely spoke to him ever again. Cut ties with him. Family stopped hanging out. Kids stopped hanging out. All because he said, I experienced this, but you said this, and I just need help reconciling. He didn't even tell the man he's wrong. He just said, I'm trying to test this with my experience. According to 1 Thessalonians, Matthew 24, 4, if you don't believe me today, Jesus answered them and said, see that no one, no person leads you astray. In other words, every word that comes out of their mouth, test it. It's amazing because politically, the people who are devoted to both sides are so sure they are right and the other one is evil. Do you realize that half of our country is, if that's the case, if one of them is right and one of them is wrong, then the one who's wrong is really, really, really wrong and they are really sure they're right. How does that happen? I'll tell you how it happens, because people don't test. They don't flip over the label and go, ah, what's in this? Where'd this come from? Who made this? What are these ingredients? I love this story in Acts. Check this out, guys. This is really cool. And I'm going to end with this. In Acts 17, Paul went in. He's talking in verse 2. It says, and Paul went in was his custom. So on three Sabbath days, listen to this. Listen, this is Paul. This is the guy that everybody uses to beat people up. On three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. This, these are the, this is the, Paul's taken the Old Testament. He's taken probably part of the Torah, more than likely. And he's reasoning with these guys. And he says, he reasoned with them the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. And saying, this Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. Paul has spent three days discussing, reasoning, asking questions. Paul was taking the holy scriptures. Paul was basically taking Moses and reasoning and asking questions through it. Do you think maybe Paul wants us to do the same thing to his writing? We actually do Paul's writing a disservice when we don't do it Paul to Paul what Paul did to Moses. So he's reasoning with them. And I want you to see this real quickly. This is a, so important because this is what happens today. Some of them were persuaded and joined them, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews, who were jealous in taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, setting the city in an uproar, attacked the house of Jason, Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. It goes on and on. This is the scripture that ends up saying, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. That's where that comes from right there. So you have two groups here. You have people who say, no way, that's wrong. We're going to attack you guys. And you have the other people who are like, that sounds wonderful. There's, there's no testing here for either group. They just have their gut reaction to it and they either run towards or away from. Does that not sound like the church? Yeah. 
People are just like, that's truth. I'm just going to go for it. Or that's evil. And they run away. There's no like, was that a one-step process? Because I think Paul was laying out a three-day ordeal here. How, much, how many questions can you ask in three days? Now, let me show you the difference. How do I know that this is what was happening here? Check this out. Verse 16, verse 11, sorry, verse 11. Now these Jews, okay, check this out. He goes to the next town. He goes to Berea. He's in Thessalonica. He goes to the next town. Same thing. Paul's having like a, Paul's travel around. He's breaking down the word and the scriptures with people, kind of giving them his reasoning. They're firing questions to their back. They're saying, wait a second, but I thought this meant this. And he's like, yeah, I thought it meant that too. But I, I'm beginning to think maybe he was saying this. And, and you should really look at like Jesus really is the, the, the Christ. And I think it's who they were talking about back then. They're like, no, there's no way he hasn't come yet. And they're having this discussion for three days. You want to talk about an argument. Like an argument around the minor table on a Sunday. If it lasts a half an hour, at some point in a half an hour, somebody's leaving mad. So I can't imagine in three days how much there was going on. These guys were probably pacing and pointing and loud and, right? How do I know that Paul's setting us up here? Because the next town he goes to is Berea. He's in Thessalonica. In Berea, he says, the people here are better. They're more noble than the people in Thessalonica. Well, remember in Thessalonica, we had two groups of people that were like, that sounds great. I'll just put it in my mouth and I'm just going to consume it. I'm not going to flip it over and see what's inside of it. And then you had the other people that were like, that looks disgusting. I'm running away. In Berea, check this out. He says they were more noble. Why? Than they were in Thessalonica because they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. The scriptures actually say of the three groups, the ones that bought it hook, line, and sinker, the ones that rejected it, and the ones that examined it, eagerly received and then examined it to see if it was so. Of the three groups, the most noble group was the ones that took the time to examine it. This is highly spiritual and highly connected to the heart of God. The idea of examining is highly uh, connected to the heart of God for humanity. The idea of making sure it is so, making sure that we own it and believe it and it's ours individually, that it has my name on it, that nobody else gave me this, that I... That I, that I might have extracted something from over here and taken an ingredient from over here and taken. But when I put it together, I looked and examined every piece of it to make sure it was so as I begin to build this thing called faith, by the way, that's always evolving and changing. They have these things called Solera barrels. Does anyone know what that is? Solera? They do it with food. They do it, there's a, there's a restaurant in Mexico City, of course I know this, that does it with mole. Mole is like a, a dark, beautifully flavorful sauce that has chocolate as its base. How could that be bad? You put it on tortillas and stuff, but it's savory. And they have a Solera barrel. They do this with bourbons. They do this with a lot of things. And what they do is they keep refilling the same barrel 
but they leave some of the last part of it inside of it. So it always has some of the old. And so this Solera barrel of mole at this restaurant in Mexico City has mole in it that's now 300 years old. And it's dark and it's rich and it's pulling from the different chefs over the years that made their mole different. It's pulling from all of them into this beautiful thing. That's what our faith is. We're not dumping the whole barrel out and starting over every week. We're just getting rid of some of it and going, yeah, this part of it isn't, doesn't make sense to me anymore, but I've got all the rest of it here that I'm going to add to. And so over the length of the history of our life and time, we're looking back going, I remember 30 years ago when I got this idea, this principle, this truth down, and it's never changed. But then I remember something from 15 years ago that today I think completely different from. It's not that all old things are wrong and all new things are right. It's a mixture of, of, of slowly over time beginning to build this barrel, if you will. Of course, that's a container, and I got away from containers in the beginning of this message. But this, this, this barrel, this, this beautiful kaleidoscope of all of these different times and, and moments and highs and lows and, and, and movements within our own lives that develop our faith. And when you come and you say, let me check out yours. Let me see what you've got there. And you taste the spices of my faith. It's not going to taste like yours. It's going to be a little different because my life has looked different and my next step will look different. I have to end church, but I, I, I love this because then again in verse 17, he says, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Paul's like showing us, he's just going from place to place and saying, let's talk. And Paul is a real disturber. He like stirs the pot. He goes into these places. He's like, remember that all that stuff you've believed for thousands of years? Let's talk about it. Let's ask questions. They're like, well, that's, that's a lot to figure out in a short amount of time. He's like, I've got three days. Let's talk. I wasn't scared of it. The New Testament church was built on this concept. Why would we leave it today? I will promise you this, my brother Jim, who was probably more prepared for that moment in college than the other pastor's kids, because that's like 90% back then, that's all that was there was pastor's kids. The girls all had big hair and they only went there to find a man to get married. I'm not kidding you, it's just how it was. The big assemblies of God hair, blonde, had a Southern accent, even if they were from New York. It just, they just, that's what happened. And, uh, Jim was probably the most prepared, but I, I would venture to say that many of those men and women that were there in that class probably got sent off course for the rest of their life because they'd never, it probably messed with them in a way that a 19-year-old brain wasn't ready for because they didn't spend the 19 years leading up to that moment giving the space and permission to ask questions and to test things. We do our kids, we do our neighbors, we do our loved ones a disservice when we don't give them the space to test. 
Now, I know what your argument's going to be because I've heard it. It's, well, if your kid's going to go touch the hot stove, do you give him time to test it or do you rip his hand away? That's the silliest argument in the world, okay? Don't bring that to me. Yes, you're allowed to say more than one thing. Say as much as you want. Just don't test what I said because it's true. I just want to say that um, throughout, if, if you s spend time and just read the Gospels over and over, and I forget the exact numbers, but Jesus was asked something like 186 questions, give or take a few. You know how many he answered? Like three, maybe four. He always asked them a question. They would come to him and say, is it this or is it this? And he would say, what about this? What about what's in your heart? What were you thinking? And it was, oh, they have a name for it, like the third question of Jesus or something like that. But that was our example. That was our example. He always challenged them, think. Pray, seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. Ask, or um, knock, and it will be opened. I've lost it. <laughs> ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and ask. So I'm going to end with this. That's great. So I'm going to end with this. This scripture we've heard a million times, Romans 12, 2. It says, do not be conformed to this world, right? But be transformed by the rule of your mind. Y'all know that one? You know there's a part B to that scripture, right? That that's not the whole scripture? That's just 2A. The entire scripture says that by testing, you may discern. You know what's interesting? If the world looks one way, we will do the opposite just because we don't want to look like the world. What if the world is like trying to be kind? <laughs> Come on. We will do the exact opposite because we read the, I refuse to conform to the things of this world. All right. Awesome. Are you also testing and discerning? Because <laughs> that's the other part. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I believe as a church that we are not called to be anti the world or anti this or anti that. I believe that we're supposed to be pro testing, discerning, asking questions so that we can fulfill the perfect good will of God here on the earth. It will only happen if we allow one another to ask, like my mom said, the temple of Jesus, to ask questions, to develop and own our own faith, to come together and to say what is true and what, what is it where are you on your journey and where are you on your journey and how can we help move you forward to the next step of understanding? What inside of you is seeking an answer? That is what this church can be. And so as I close today a little bit late, on Independence Day 2021, I wanna tell you that we have declared this place a church where independent thought and questions is welcome. Come on, that, that is our culture, amen? And no age. Amen. I feel like that. Do I feel like that dog has discernment on me right now. All right. And no, 
no age-appropriate question is off-limits. Amen? All right, bless you guys. We'll see you next week. Have a great rest of your holiday. Be safe. We love you.